Welcome to Answers from Antioch. You have joined us at the intersection of God's Word and today's world. This broadcast is brought to you by the Antioch Baptist Church in Bristol, Virginia. Join us as we examine information that impacts the church, the Christian, and the Christian home. Hello, everyone. Thanks so very much for tuning in on this Sunday evening, the Sunday before Thanksgiving. And we certainly are blessed to have a Thanksgiving and a national day of Thanksgiving in our nation. We're blessed, and I would hope that many hearts would turn to the Lord Jesus and thank Him truly from a grateful heart. I certainly want to, don't you? I want my Lord to know that I am very thankful and grateful for everything that he is doing. Sadly, as our Bible tells us, and the Lord prophesied through several of his great men, that uh, in these latter days there would be people with unthankful hearts. The majority of folks would be unthankful, and they would have no kind of compassion or an attitude of gratitude for anyone or anybody Uh, That, my friend, is certainly what we see today among many people. But that's not the way America was founded. That's not really the idea of being an American. Being an American was one who believes that we are blessed of God and we are grateful to Jehovah God, our Lord Jesus, for all that he has done. I want to give you some historical facts here that blesses my heart, and I hope it'll remind you of where we have been and what the foundation of our nation was all about, and it was a true thanksgiving. It was November the 1st, 1777. Now, remember, we're in the Revolutionary War at this time. It's just 1777. We've been fighting for only a year And the Continental Congress issued the first national proclamation of thanksgiving. It extended to all the colonies, and it was a result of a victory, which they didn't have that many victories in that first year, but it was a victory at Saratoga, and they issued this first national day of thanksgiving. Let me read it to you, or a portion of it to you. For as much as it is the indispensable duty of all men to adore the superintending providence of Almighty God, to acknowledge with gratitude their obligation to Him for benefits received, and to implore such further blessings as they stand in need of, and it having pleased Him in His abundant mercy not only to continue to us the innumerable bounties of his common providence to smile upon us as in the prosecution of a just and necessary war for the defense and the establishment of our unalienable rights and liberties. It is therefore recommended to the legislative or executive powers of these United States to set apart Thursday the 18th day of December next, for the solemn thanksgiving and praise, that with one heart and one voice the good people may express the grateful feelings of their hearts and consecrate themselves to the service of their divine benefactor, and that together with their sincere acknowledgments and offerings 
they may join the penitent confession of their manifold sins, whereby they had forfeited every favor and their humble and earnest supplications that it may please God through the merits of Jesus Christ mercifully to forgive and blot them out of remembrance. Here was a call, the first call for a national day of prayer and thanksgiving. And it was also a national day of repentance. As you heard me read there, that they would confess their sins and their shortcomings. And through the merits of Jesus Christ, that he would mercifully forgive and blot out their sins. So it was not only a national day of thanksgiving, but a proclamation asking for a national day of repentance. Oh, how we need that today. But of course, as one of the congressmen from New York said, and some of the senators have said, sadly, that we not interested, we're not interested in what God has to say to us. Mr. Nadler, Congressman Nadler said that others have implied the same thing in the Senate. We're not interested in what God has to say to us, my friend. We better be interested because he could shove their breath right down their throat and immediately we would say, take their life if it wasn't for the grace and the mercy of God. You see, he could destroy our nation in a matter of seconds if he so chose. But we as God's people know that when people refuse to repent, we as God's people can repent. We as God's people can turn to God and should with thanksgiving and praise. And just remember the first proclamation of a national thanksgiving made November the 1st, 1777 and was to be observed in the 18th day of December of 1777 was a call for national thanksgiving and repentance and asking God's continued help in that revolutionary war. They were depending on Almighty God. How very important that is for us to remember. So you see where our forefathers were. This was before we even gained our independence, before we won the Revolutionary War. And then immediately upon the uh, winning of the war and when President George Washington was president, October 3rd in 1789, he proclaimed a national day of thanksgiving. Listen at what he had to say. Whereas it is the duty of all nations to acknowledge the providence of Almighty God, to obey His will, to be grateful for His benefits, and humbly to implore His protection and favor. Now, therefore, I do recommend and assign Thursday, the 26th day of November next, to be devoted by the people of these United States, that we then may all unite unto Him our sincere and humble thanks for His kind care and protection of the people of this country, previous to their becoming a nation, for the signal and manifold mercies and the favorable interpositions of His providence in the course and conclusion of this late war. 
Of course, the Revolutionary War was over. President George Washington was then there as our first president, and it was October 3, 1789, that he issued this proclamation of a day of thanksgiving. He went on to say that because of the great degree of tranquility, the union and plenty which we have since enjoyed, for the peaceable and rational manner in which we have been enabled to establish constitutions of government for our safety and our happiness, and particularly the national one now lately instituted for the civil and the religious liberty with which we are blessed, and also that we may then unite in most humbly offering our prayers and supplications to the great Lord and ruler of nations and beseech him to pardon our national and other transgressions to promote the knowledge and the practice of true religion and virtue. George Washington proclaimed this National Day of Thanksgiving on October the 3rd, 1789. Wow, we see how thankful that he was and how he understood it was truly God and God alone, Jehovah God, Jesus, that had given us the blessings in our nation, that had won the Revolutionary War, literally, that had blessed us as we had been blessed. You know, it was October the 3rd, that same date, in 1863. Now here we've moved from 1789, October 3rd, to October 3rd, 1863, that President Abraham Lincoln proclaimed a day of national thanksgiving. I do, therefore, invite my fellow citizens in every part of the United States to set apart and observe the last Thursday of November Next, as a day of thanksgiving and praise to our beneficent Father who dwells in the heavens, it is announced in the Holy Scriptures and proven by all history that those nations are blessed whose God is the Lord. It has seemed to me fit and proper that God should be solemnly, reverently, and gratefully acknowledged as with one heart and one voice by the whole American people. Now that was the proclamation by President Abraham Lincoln passed in Congress October 3rd, 1863. And they followed what George Washington wrote on October 3rd and declared in 1789. Think about that for a moment. And there we are 74 years later with still a heart of thanksgiving and praise to Jehovah God as a nation, wanting the entire nation to turn to Jesus, the entire nation to, in repentance, turn to the Lord, and also a time of thanksgiving. Ladies and gentlemen, certainly that is the need today. And may you and I, may you and I do this for our nation. We know that the majority of folk won't thank God. But we as believers will thank God. Uh, the unbeliever won't. No, unsaved people just normally do not have a thanks, thankful heart and a heart of gratefulness toward Jehovah God. 
but people who are saved do have. So let's you and I stand in for these who will not pray and thank God during this week and have special times of thanksgiving and praise. And right here on Tuesday at our church at Antioch, we're going to have a special thanksgiving and praise service Tuesday evening at 7 o'clock. And we want you to come and be part of that. I know our uh, co-host, Pastor Josh, will uh, say more about that, but that'll be this Tuesday. So let's you and I as believers stand in the gap, stand in the place of these unbelievers in our nation who will not be thankful, and let us be thankful. We've raised generations now, at least three to four generations, who have not been taught at all to be thankful. You know, something was said by the late, great Peter Marshall, who was chaplain of the U.S. Senate, that grabbed my heart. Here's what he said. Let us not fool ourselves without Christianity, without Christian education, without the principles of Christ inculcated into young life. We are simply rearing pagans, Peter Marshall said. He is so right, and that is actually what has happened in the education system in America. We have stopped teaching them about Christ, remove the prayer, remove the Bible, 62 and 63, take that out of there. And in so doing, we have raised simply pagans. And we see what's happened, haven't we? Well, lest you and I, as believers, let's stand in the gap for these who will never thank God. And in a time of repentance ourselves and thanksgiving during this week, let's offer special prayers of thanksgiving, praise, and repentance on behalf of our nation and the course and direction that we see our nation going. Well, our co-host, Pastor Josh, is here with us. Come and share some great truths. Thank you, Pastor Brad, for that important information and reminders about Thanksgiving. I'm going to go in a different direction and bring you up to speed on some things that are happening in the Bristol area tomorrow. Before I jump into that important information that you need to hear, let me first say a thank you to those of you who came out and worshipped with us this past Thursday night. As we had the hoppers here, it was a wonderful night of worship. Thank you to those of you who listened to this broadcast and came and worshiped with us. We were all blessed that evening, and we praise God and give Him glory for that. Happening tomorrow in Bristol, this is a follow-up to something that we've been sharing with you over time. A few weeks ago, there was a large rally that took place at the Bristol City Hall. As the city council was presented information and really legislation that they could pass and everything was prepared for them, and the wonderful group at the Family Foundation of Virginia spearheaded this effort and presented the council with an intelligent and usable uh, law that they could put into practice. And thankfully, the Bristol, Virginia City Council was unanimous in their support for this kind of legislation passing in Bristol, Virginia, but they couldn't pull the trigger, so to speak, on that 
right there because there's procedure that they have to go through. The next step of the procedure is what will be happening tomorrow. And you say, what are you talking about passing legislation and all these different things? What are you referring to? Let's take take a step back and then I'll tell you what's happening tomorrow. If you're aware of this, I know we've shared it here before, but maybe you're listening or you're new to the program. Well, what is happening since the overturn of Roe v. Wade, Tennessee has enacted strict laws and Kentucky, West Virginia have done so as well. Well, we know that we here in Southwest Virginia share a border with all three of those states in our neighboring counties and cities. And so county by county, localities in Southwest Virginia have been declaring themselves as pro-life safe zones. And this is a wonderful thing to get out in front of what may happen and can I say what is already happening. We have seen this firsthand right here where we are in Bristol. As soon as the law took effect in Tennessee, the stricter abortion laws, the abortion clinic here in Bristol was located on the Tennessee side. Well, when the law changed, what did they do? They just jumped across state lines. Now they're on the Virginia side, right near the casino. And Bristol, Virginia has been near the top of lists for people who live in Tennessee, West Virginia, Kentucky, and they're looking for abortion. They're pointing them, go to Bristol, go to Bristol, go to Bristol, to where Bristol is now becoming a destination for abortion in Tri-Cities. God help us. And I'm grateful that our city council was unanimous in their support for this legislation. Now, what would it do if this passes in the city of Bristol, Virginia? And this is just for the city limits of Bristol, Virginia. Please do not miss that fact. I want to come back to that in just a few minutes. But they would uh, enact the language that would say that the abortion clinic that's here cannot expand their operations in terms of adding square footage to their facility, nor could any new facilities be opened in Bristol, Virginia. That's what they're seeking to pass. And as I said, this is a locality by locality decision. Russell County, for instance, has declared their county a pro-life safe zone to where abortion clinics cannot enter into their county. Other counties are beginning to follow suit, uh, such as Washington County taking this up and many other surrounding counties. As I said earlier, they're trying to get out in front of this, and that's what we have to do here in southwest Virginia. We certainly do not want this to be known as the abortion factory of the southeast or of the mideast, where people from surrounding states who have stricter abortion laws are flooding over the border into Virginia. And I I hope and I pray that statewide we could see some stricter legislation enacted to that end that would prevent those things from happening. So what is taking place tomorrow? This is the next step in what's happening here in Bristol. And the Family Foundation of Virginia brings us up to speed on these events. So I want to share with you some of the news that they want you to be aware of. 
that the Bristol City Planning Commission meeting will be held on Monday, November 21st at 12 noon. But if you want to go attend this meeting, you need to be there early, probably by around 11 a.m., to make sure that you can get in and get a seat. There may be an opportunity for you if you'd like to make a public comment, but you have to arrive early. You you need to sign up uh, to make a comment. And when the doors open, immediately before the meeting, you can sign up. The public comments are limited to three minutes for every speaker. And they have some ideas of uh, to help you think through the kinds of things that you could share if you're a Bristol, Virginia resident and you would like to share there. I urge you to check out the Family Foundation of Virginia. You say, well, where is this all going to happen? It's at the council chambers on uh, 300 Lee Street, Bristol, Virginia, 24201. And as I said, this is the key next step towards ultimately getting a safe zone for life city ordinance passed. And at this stage in the process, the City Planning Commission will review the proposed ordinance. And then they're going to make a recommendation to the City Council whether to move forward or not. So you see, the Council was unanimous in moving forward with this. Now it goes to the City Planning Commission, and that meeting is taking place tomorrow at 12 noon in the Council's chambers at 300 Lee Street, Bristol, Virginia. And then if they pass that, if they approve this ordinance, then two more steps are going to occur and could happen as early as December. The first step is a joint public hearing meeting with the city council and the planning commission meeting together. And then secondly, a subsequent city council meeting would occur for a final vote. That could come as early as uh, early to mid-December. And so to help keep this moving forward, the planning commissioners need to see you there in person on Monday, November 21st. And we encourage you to take part of this and to be a part in uh, supporting this. As the Family Foundation reminds us, we cannot allow Bristol to become an abortion tourist destination. But we need your help to get through this each key step and get to the finish line. And so we need to be aware of these things. That's why we wanted to bring this to your attention. And why do we take such a strong stand for life? We do so because we want to be a voice for the voiceless, for those who cannot yet speak for themselves. We want to be their voice. We want to be their advocate. They are innocent. They are defenseless. They are totally dependent upon the parents. I was just reminiscing earlier about my own kids and when they were babies, how that we had to do literally everything for them when they were first born. But slowly over time, parenting is, I think, letting go little by little, day by day, week by week, month by month, year by year, until they're ready to go out on their own and to raise a family of their own. 
And so we see that these children in the womb need to be nurtured. They need to be cared for. They aren't able to speak up for themselves, even newborn babies, until they're even perhaps in some cases closer to two years old before they can form words and sentences. And obviously even beyond that into early childhood before they can speak intelligently and intelligibly. And so we want to be that voice for the most innocent in our society. And we stand boldly for life. You see, this is all a biblical worldview in action. And I know that we really and strongly emphasize biblical worldview on this program because it really matters. And this is a prime example of what we're talking about. What do you mean, you may be asking? Your thoughts come into you and become what is in your heart, what you believe, and that in turn impacts your actions. So if we think biblically and we see these innocent pre-born children as being made in the image of God and made and created on purpose, with a purpose, and that their life is not a mistake, that their life is not something that we can just throw in the garbage can, excuse me for being so blunt, but we need to come to terms with how our worldview really impacts the way that we live and the decisions that we make. And if we come at it with a biblical worldview, that's why we take such a bold stand for life. But if you do not approach it from a biblical worldview and you say, it's all about me, it's all about what I want, it's my body, it's my choice, I can do whatever I want to to anybody else as long as it helps me, and you have that me-centered philosophy that me-centered attitude, and you're worshiping yourself, and you have made yourself your own God, then you can do whatever makes you feel good. You can do whatever helps you get to where you want to be. And that self-centered thinking leads to self-centered beliefs, which leads to self-centered actions. And I think abortion as perhaps one of the most selfish decisions a person can make. Whether that be the father who is forcing the girl to have the abortion, or whether that be the girl who is seeking out the abortion. It's one of the most selfish things that you can do, because you're only thinking of yourself. You need to come to grips with these things. Our worldview matters. Our worldview shapes how we come to the decisions to support the things that we support and to stand against the things that we stand against. Let me tell you exactly what Scripture has to uh, tell us. And that is from Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. And it tells us here, we are His workmanship. You are God's masterpiece. That unborn child is God's masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God has before ordained that we should walk in them. In other words, what this verse is teaching us is that God has a plan and a purpose for every single human life. Again, there are no accidents 
God doesn't make mistakes, nor does God make junk. God doesn't make trash. He doesn't make ugly. He doesn't make stupid. He makes masterpieces. And those who are wonderful artists and sculptors, craftsmen who can build even carpenters, when they make a masterpiece, they're not just rolling out junk off an assembly line. They are taking their time to perfect it to the best of their abilities. And God has done even greater because he never makes a mistake and he never makes junk. You are his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus. The unborn is his masterpiece created in Christ Jesus and two good works. May God bless you. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for joining us today. We encourage you to visit our website at AntiochBristol.com. There you will find many ways to contact us and connect with us and so much more. Until next time, stand firm in Jesus' truth.